Another business hit with a ransomware attack. Issues with cybersecurity have shut down yet another Midwestern company. The data breaches put the information of millions at risk. Here to give you peace of mind in an industry that moves faster than the speed of light. This is your weekly tech in. Hello world, this is Patrick Souls, the founder of Soul Tech Solutions, and welcome again to the Weekly Tech In Podcast, where we give you peace of mind working with an industry that moves faster than the speed of light. This week, we are starting off with a very exciting topic, business email compromise. I know, I know, thrilling, uh, but it's actually a very important topic that we address because uh, business email compromise is a cybersecurity threat that we've actually seen jump 81% in 2022, with as many as 98% of employees in those attacks not reporting that the event took place. So it could be something that cost your company a lot of money and have long-term damage. Uh, so what is b- business email compromise? Uh, well, it's a type of phishing scam. Uh, usually with a criminal starting off with scanning things like Facebook or LinkedIn or your organization's website uh, to find information about employees, customers, vendors, uh, suppliers, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, then they'll, once they have the, enough information, they'll craft a very convincing looking email with logos and, and maybe even a fake website to, to back it up. Um, to make it look more legitimate and send an email to someone in your organization saying you need to make this payment now or something along those lines, uh, usually containing a sense of urgency to to really inspire whoever is being targeted to, to act quickly or else there'll be major consequences. Um, then you'll click a link in the email and uh, send money, process a payment, whatever, and uh, that money is gone. Uh, you have uh, willingly processed a payment, so your bank probably won't even pull it back for you. It has disappeared. According to the FBI, BEC scams cost businesses around $1.8 billion in 2020, and that figure increased to $2.4 billion in 2021. Uh, So it's kind of a big deal. Uh, So now that you know a little bit more about it, what can you do? Uh, to prevent this kind of thing from happening. And the very, very first thing you need to do is educate your employees. Something like 80% of cybersecurity threats begin with human error. Uh, and I, I know that sounds awful, but it is the truth. Uh, so regular education for your employees and training for your employees on what these uh, um, threats are and how to prevent them or how to react against them uh, are very important. So you should make your employees aware of uh, the tactics used by scammers. Um, and usually if it seems urgent, if it says uh, the organization name multiple times, if it doesn't look like an email you've gotten from them before, uh, things like that, uh, train your employees to flag it, to report it to your internal IT team, or if you're working with an IT partner, to flag it and send it to them. Um, and the, to also look for, um, kind of strange characters sometimes, uh, to evade phishing filters. They'll use, uh, characters from different alphabets that look like they're from the normal English alphabet or Roman alphabet. Uh, so look for anything that kind of feels off that way. Um, and then just to make sure that this, uh, attack vector doesn't come from someone's internal email, make sure you're using long secure passwords, at least 12 characters, capital letters, numbers, the whole shebang, you, you know, the drill, uh, and also make sure that, uh, employees are changing their email passwords regularly. Um, but of course, 
always, always, always notifying someone if that something looks suspicious, whether it's their superior or IT, uh, making sure someone knows. Um, I know particularly for my clients, I actually have a report button installed in their inbox. Anytime they see a suspicious email, all they have to do is open that email and hit the report button and it sends it to my uh, team and uh, we evaluate whether or not it's a threat or not. And then if it's not, we can always send it back to them. If it is, we've caught it, we've reported it. Um, and now that email won't make it to anyone else. Another thing you can do to prevent this kind of attack is to enable email authentication. Now this is kind of a technical thing, so make sure you're working with your IT team about this. Um, but it's usually, um, within your DNS server or DNS settings or DNS records, we call it all three of those. Um, but you want to uh, include authentication such as DMARC, D-M-A-R-C, uh, SPF, which stands for Center Policy Framework, and then the newer technology, DKIM, that Google is instituting by default is Domain Keys Identified Mail. And so basically what all these do is ensure that the email is actually coming from the domain it says it's coming from, uh, as well as uh, it's not a suspicious domain or a domain that looks like it's um, meant to be spoofing another domain so the domain being the thing that's at the end of your email address uh, so if it's uh say uh, my company is soltech solutions our website soltech.solutions my email ends in soltech.solutions so these authentication uh, policies will make sure it something that says soltech.solutions.com doesn't get through or something along those lines you can also institute something like a payment verification process. And what this is going to do is uh, ensure that one employee doesn't uh, doesn't have full control of the processing of, of the, that payment and that it has to be um, okayed by another employee, usually uh, someone of a, of a management position, uh, so that in each time you have money going out, um, that's not planned or scheduled. You have two pairs of eyes looking at it and you're much, much less likely to uh, fall victim to the, the scam because uh, that second pair of eyes might not see something or might see something that that first pair of eyes didn't catch. And along with this uh, includes something like uh, multi-factor authentication in those uh, payment processes so that uh, there's, there's a moment to think and uh, it's not something where your employee is just trying to make it happen as quickly as possible because the email sounded urgent. You should also uh, establish a response plan and put it in some operating procedures and some kind of documentation so it's standardized. Uh, but a response plan for any time there is something like a BEC, uh, then you know, okay, when this happens, who are you going to contact? Um, who, uh, what sort of law enforcement are you going to get a hold of? Uh, what individuals at the organization is supposed to... Um, handle that situation from that point on. Um, definitely, in my uh, recommendation, do not punish the employee who fell for it. Uh, because again, this is a common thing. And if they did fall for it, the responsibility is on management for not training employees. So don't don't punish employees for falling for these kinds of things. Um, just make sure that your, uh, your organization is ready to protect itself and also respond if that sort of thing does happen. While we're on that topic, uh, something else we we're going to cover this week is uh, some tips to help small businesses get ready for the unexpected. Um, I heard a good 
quote from someone. I wish I could remember who it was from, but they said the unexpected really isn't unexpected. You just don't know when it's going to happen. Um, so being prepared at all times is um, probably the best plan. Um, so I'm going to, I'm I'm speaking from the perspective of a cyber attack uh, because that's obviously going to be a very unanticipated or unexpected uh, situation and what a small business should do to um, be prepared for that instance. Um, but also I believe a lot of these sorts of tips can, can be applied in general, whether you're worried about a cyber attack or not. Um, but here's, here's the big statistic to get you worried about it and why you want to be prepared. Because if you are not, you could be one of the 60% of small businesses that fail and completely go under within six months of falling victim to a cyber attack. Yeah. Over half, over half after that, that initial cyber attack go out of business. So how do you stop that from happening? This should sound familiar. Have a contingency plan. So basically plan out how you're going to respond to whatever uh, particular um, cyber threat that is and how you're going to k- keep business moving forward after that. Um, whether it's uh, steps in um, PR or um, how you pr- how you respond to a natural disaster, um, who's going to work from where, if the building goes up in flames, you should have a plan in place for all kinds of situations like this if there are tornadoes common in your area or even rare in your area what do you do if a tornado happens during work hours during off hours if the building gets destroyed have it in writing and put it in your standard operating procedures but on top of that you also want to make sure you maintain adequate insurance coverage this should be kind of a no-brainer make sure you have proper liability coverage if you there is a cyber uh, uh, cyber threat attack uh, Okay, so maybe that one's not so much of a common knowledge thing that uh, you could be liable in the case of a cyber attack. So you want to make sure your insurance covers liability as well, but definitely keep property damage coverage. Uh, And there's also, um, you can find sometimes a a business interruption coverage that helps pay for the things you need to keep running uh, when you can't do business itself. Uh, But then also definitely consider some cyber insurance things that cover thing um, aspects of of cyber threats like uh, data breaches and and that sort of thing our next tip is to uh, diversify your revenue streams and so this is more targeted towards smaller businesses like really small businesses uh, if you do one thing and do it well I love that keep doing that but make sure you have another way to make money so if you have a retail store, and that retail store goes up in flames. You won't be able to sell things out of that store. But if you sell things online and you still have stock, you can keep your business going. Uh, same thing for a restaurant. If there's a, 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 a network attack at a restaurant and the POS goes out of place, uh, you can still do catering and collect checks. Um, so make sure you have another service that you can do uh, in the case of the unexpected. You also want to make sure you build strong relationships with your suppliers or anything else related to your supply chain. Um, having a strong relationship matters um, because uh, if it's an instance like, hey, this just happens and we need new product fast so we can turn it around. If you have a good relationship with your uh, supplier, then they'll be more likely to uh, 
to help you get back on your feet in the case of a disaster. Um, if they know you as just the person who pays regularly, but they don't even know your first name, uh, they don't know who owns the company or anything like that, uh, it might be a little bit harder to convince them to move any faster. Um, so make sure you have good personal relationships and strong relationships with your suppliers. And also similarly to how we handle our personal finances, you want to make sure you have kind of a rainy day fund for your business. Keep some cash reserves uh, in the the case of uh, unexpected events. So you have something on hand, something liquid that you can use for repairs or legal fees or cover loss of income. If you're a really small business like a mom and pop shop, uh, you want to make sure you can cover your own income while uh, your business is getting back on its feet. One that I think a lot of small businesses don't really consider often is to build strong outsourcing relationships. Uh, So, for example, if you have internal IT, make sure you have a partnership or uh, some kind of relationship with uh, a managed IT service uh, in the case that your internal IT guy quits and um, doesn't quit on friendly terms. You have someone to take over right away and make sure your business is secured. but you can even extend this to something like um, if you are an independent plumber and you're sick, you have another plumber you can call. Hey, can you handle this uh, this job for me while I'm recovering? Or, uh, you know, something of that nature. Um, it doesn't have to be a permanent outsourcing. But having someone you can rely on when the, when the time comes um, to kind of take over for you, um, it, it can be crucial and make sure that money keeps flowing, even if it's a little bit less. And we already talked talked about this a little bit, but just make sure you're checking your financials regularly. I know I think this is something small businesses should be doing regularly anyway, uh, regardless. And many of you do, uh, but maybe some newer businesses, some uh, um, smaller startups, maybe they they forget to do this. And that is just go back, check your income, check your expenses, check your budget sheets. If you're not working with a bookkeeper, consider it. Um, and if you're not meeting with a financial advisor definitely think about that too. Uh, Just so you have an idea of where things are, where things were and where they're going when it comes to your business income. And of course, you're going to want to invest in good technology. Uh, So probably the biggest thing that uh, an IT service provider or internal IT department can handle for you is going to be uh, what we call a business continuity and disaster response plan. Um, And that's basically what we do as far as the data side of your company uh, when the unexpected happens. It's literally in uh, in our job description. Right. And so we're going to protect your data and make sure that it's backed up where it needs to go and that it's easily accessible if something does happen. And uh, we can even do cool, really cool things like, uh, again, say your business goes up in flames and you have four people that work from computers and those computers you can't get to them anymore well we've got those backed up and we're going to upload them to a virtual machine so they can go home hop on their computer at home and log into a website and boom there's a copy of their computer and they can keep working with all their files right there so make sure you're investing in these kind of key technologies uh, in order to keep your business going during the unexpected and of course we want to make sure we're training our employees for emergencies um Uh, So I already talked about how uh, employees, um, or sorry, how uh, cyber threats, about 80% uh, happen through user error. A lot of costs and downtime can also happen from lack of training for employees when dealing with emergencies or unexpected events. But the quicker you can react to something like a natural disaster, a cyber attack, or any other emergency you can think of, um, the quicker you can get back to doing what you do and that's your business and hopefully providing a service product or product or making money or and making money, hopefully. 
and that's really it. Uh, I, the, the biggest help I think I can offer in this is make sure you're talking to an IT specialist uh, or an IT consultant to develop a business continuity plan um, because that can be game changing when it comes to a natural disaster or cyber threat or other uh, unexpected situation in uh, getting your business just back to being a business and doing what it's supposed to do. You can really see downtime shortened from a couple weeks in the case of an, an entire office going out, um, whether it's ransomware or fire or tornado, what have you, flood, to sometimes 30 minutes. And you can be back into doing business and making money and making sure you're providing your service or your product again. Uh, and all you have to do is have that continuity plan in place. So again, if you have internal IT, talk to them. If they haven't heard that phrase before, find an IT, an IT consultant. If you don't have internal IT, just talk to an IT service provider and um, schedule a chat. Okay, we're going to have a little bit more fun with this last uh, topic. Um, so the NSA... Of all government agencies, the NSA released the best practices for securing your home network. Um, and so this is a pretty interesting list. So we're going to go through uh, what, what they suggest. Um, <laughs> they say from phishing to smishing, which is apparently SMS phishing. That's a first one for me. And I've been in this industry a long time. Uh, it's getting harder to avoid a breach. So follow these tips. Uh I can agree with this first one. Definitely change your default password and usernames on your networking hardware. So if you went and bought a new uh, router or if you bought a router years ago and you haven't done anything other than turn it on, uh, you should be able to log into that router and change uh, its default admin and password, which is usually admin and password. Um, make sure those are different. Because uh, if they're the default, there are a whole lot of ways people can connect to that router. And then because they have administrative access, uh, they have information about every device that's connected to your home network. And obviously you don't want that. Number two, again, I think this is kind of obvious, um, but make, enable encryption. What a lot of you are going to think of when I say enable encryption, it's going to be the Wi-Fi password. If there is a password on your Wi-Fi, then your Wi-Fi is encrypted. That is a good thing. Do not keep your Wi-Fi unsecured. I know it can be an inconvenience if you have company over, if you regularly have people visiting your house or, or that sort of thing. Um, there are cool things you can do to enable people who you trust to be able to access your Wi-Fi, such as putting a QR code on the wall or uh, having, a, having it on a coaster. I've actually seen that before. I think it's pretty cool. Put a QR code on a coaster for them to scan, and that gives them access to the Wi-Fi. Um, but you definitely don't want to leave it unsecured because that means anyone can connect to your network and then instantly have access to all the other devices on your network. Okay, so this is a good one. I, I don't think a lot of people think to do this. And that is to update the firmware of your home router. Um, basically, uh, the firmware is, is, you can think of it as like the operating system that runs the router. Uh, and if there is a, a bug or a, a backdoor that's in that initial firmware, the manufacturer will release a firmware update. Um, but it's it's rarely an automatic thing. Sometimes you have to log into the router and go click update firmware. Um, but that's just going to make sure that uh, you don't you, those kinds of loopholes get patched and so you're not left open with an... Uh, it's it's like leaving your back door unlocked. You don't really want to do that. So uh, maybe do something like set a calendar event every month 
to just double check to make sure that there's a, a not an up, a firmware update for your router. Um, and I guess this also kind of implies that you need to keep track of uh, the lifespan of your router. I think most home routers last three to five years. Uh, so if you're in that that fourth or fifth year, start considering getting a new router just to make sure you're getting security updates. Okay, and their next tip is to enable firewall. I think a lot of times firewalls are enabled by defaults. Um, so you shouldn't have to worry about this too much, but definitely make sure your router has a built-in firewall and it is turned on. Um, and basically firewalls are just going to... Uh, keep track of traffic moving in and out of your home network and uh, your home computer uh, and the internet. So it's going to make sure all the traffic that's coming through um, incoming or outgoing is only the traffic that's really allowed and supposed to go through. Um, like I said, it's typically built in and typically turned on automatically and you shouldn't have to do this, but it's worth checking to make sure. Okay, so this is this is kind of interesting. So the NSA says to disable unused services on your router. Um, and I wasn't sure what they meant at first, but I'm reading this and they're talking things like file sharing, uh, remote management, media streaming. Um, yeah, I suppose I don't really think of using these things in my home network. I usually have other sorts of tools that, that accomplish the same kind of things. And I don't think a lot of people are doing uh, remote management of their home network. Um, unless I, unless I suppose they got the, the new Netgear writer routers have a cool app that you can control everything from, but, uh, yeah. So the NSA recommends turning off things like file sh sharing and media streaming, um, because these can be again, like open windows to your house for, uh, hackers to get through. If they're not being used, they're not being monitored either. Um, so go ahead and turn them off. Okay. Their next tip is to secure your Wi-Fi network. This is a lot like using encryption, um, but involves a couple more steps. Uh, and so this this would include changing the default SSID, if you're not sure what that means. It's the name of the Wi-Fi. It's the name that it's broadcasted. So when you say connect to um, <laughs> Pretty Fly for a Wi-Fi, uh, and that's your network name, that's, that's your SSID right there. Um, so change the default one so that it's not um, Spectrum Wireless number, number, letter, letter. Uh, and that it's actually, uh, oh, something like uh, Souls Home or something along those lines. Well, don't name it Souls Home if your name's not Souls. That's kind of strange. Um, but change it so that it's not the default. And then disable, you can also actually disable the SSID broadcast, which means people can't just pull up the Wi-Fi on their phone. Um, the Wi-Fi settings and look for the Wi-Fi for your home. Um, this is actually, I used to do this. This is a pretty good tip. Um, so you disable it and then you use something like a QR code for people to connect to it, or you um, you can still connect to the Wi-Fi if that SSID is not being broadcast. But it does mean that that SSID is not showing up when people open up what are all the Wi-Fi signals in my area. Um, so that's a, that's a pretty good tip. That gives thumbs up for me. Um, that's excellent. Uh, on top of that, you can enable Mac address filtering. Uh, this kind of seems heavy handed for a home internet, but essentially every uh, internet connected device has what's called an MAC address. We call it a Mac address uh, that identifies that device on the network. Um, and it's a, a string of, of numbers and letters that are in pairs. Um, and you can see it usually in your Wi-Fi settings or your internet settings. Um so by enabling Mac address filtering, you can basically say uh, only these devices are allowed to connect to my network 
um, so you can ensure that no one's sitting outside your house or something like that trying to connect. Um, that's right there. The router is going to block them because their MAC address is not listed. So that's pretty smart. But again, it's heavy handed. And if you ever have friends over, that means they can't have access to your Wi-Fi, which uh, can be a pain. Okay, so their next tip says to disable WPS, which is Wi-Fi protected setup. Um, it's actually a an older function that's supposed that was supposed to allow secure and instant connection, but it's hard to have something instant and secure. Uh, basically, uh, you'll you might see a button on the front of your router that looks like a lock with a little circle around it, um, like a like a ring from Saturn or something like that, and you would press that button on your router and then go press that button on your printer and then the two would talk to each other and then set up your printer on your Wi-Fi. Uh, I don't know anyone that regularly uses this, so I think this also goes hand in hand with that um, that tip about disabling unused services. Just turn it off. Um, but I think it, they're also implying that it can be, um, it can be abused uh, by uh, hackers and that sort of thing. So... Uh, yeah, go ahead and just turn that off because you're probably not using it anyway. Okay, here's another good one. Use strong passwords. Um, so this, I think this is talking mostly about your your Wi-Fi password, um, but it could also mean your, your password to get into your router. Uh, make sure it's at least 12 characters. It's a combination of upper and lowercase letters. Includes at least one number, one symbol, all of that stuff. Uh, don't Don't make it go bucks and then your house number. Or um, <laughs> or we love Patriots uh, ninety two. That's a terrible password, and I bet if you have a Patriots flag outside your house, someone can guess it. Um, and that's the kind of the point here: using a strong password that's not easily easily guessable. And if you're doing cool things like that QR code I mentioned, you're not going to have to worry about the complexity of the password anyway. Okay, so uh, this last tip is uh, actually kind of borrowing a, a tactic from the business world uh, they say to limit physical access to your router uh, I guess this kind of makes sense if, if you're hosting you don't want someone to go up and physically mess with your router and you don't know what they're doing or what they could do to it in a quick amount of time some routers have USB ports on them you can plug in a flash drive and you don't want someone plugging that in and deploying some kind of hacker payload or something um, but this is something we do in the business realm as well. Uh, you'll find servers and networking gear locked away in closets, and usually only a couple people will have the keys to that that closet. Or I've even seen some that have electronic locks that you need a pin code to get into. Uh, so if you, I suppose, if you want physical security as as safe as what uh, is common for businesses, put your router in a locked cabinet or a room with limited access as well. Um, though I will say. If you shove your your wireless router into a closet, it's going to do terrible things for your Wi-Fi connectivity in the rest of the house. So this might not be a good option for you. Or if you still want that level of security, use the router and then connect um, via a longer Ethernet cable or an Ethernet cable through the wall or something like that. Um, some uh, access points or maybe do a mesh Wi-Fi network so you can make sure you're not uh, you still have. Uh, enough Wi-Fi coverage throughout your whole home. Okay, so that's uh, that's the NSA's best practices for securing your home network. That was kind of fun. Um, it's it's kind of interesting to see what uh, what a government institution <laughs> recommends. We all do at home, uh, especially the NSA, which uh, didn't weren't they accused of I don't know spying on all of us at one point? That's kind of a funny thing to me. I'm not saying they did. 
but uh, I don't know. It's all funny to me. Okay, so next week we're going to talk about Microsoft 365 Copilot and how that is going to dramatically change the way you work. Uh, we're also going to talk over what threat modeling is and what you can do to reduce your risk uh, by using threat modeling. And then how good security is like onions. A little Shrek reference for you there. Until then, thank you for listening. And please stop using your dog's name and your password. This is Patrick, logging out. <laughs>